You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Blockchains, cryptocurrency exchanges, and the risks they present. Vulnerabilities in Amazon RDS may expose PII, a study of the language of fraud. Tim Starks from the Washington Post Cybersecurity 202 on a lagging DHS Cyber Doomsday report. Our guest is Ashif Samnani of Synovus Energy with insights from the world of OT Cyber. And President Zelensky offers the benefit of Ukraine's experience with cyber warfare to the G19. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, November 16th, 2022. report from Moody's says that the cryptocurrency ecosystem's vulnerability to cyber attacks is restricting the sector's growth. Moody's says this trend was most recently highlighted by the hacks sustained by FTX shortly after the exchange filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy last week. Moody's explains that applications built on the blockchain rely on a tangle of technologies that opens them up to attacks. The report explains... The ecosystem relies on a series of technological layers, such as the user interface, smart contracts, the blockchain program, and the hardware infrastructure. Each segment can be susceptible to vulnerabilities. In particular, smart contracts, programs running automatically when predetermined conditions are met, present novel challenges. Whereas bugs can remain hidden for a long time in conventional applications, Hackers can easily identify flaws in a smart contract because their code is often open source. Their automated nature and ability to hold crypto assets also enable thieves to exploit logical errors to steal funds. Moody's researchers note that more attacks are now targeting decentralized finance companies compared to centralized finance. Not only do they hold large sums of cryptocurrency— but they're also susceptible to many of the same issues that affect crypto exchanges. The recent collapse, bankruptcy, and compromise of the FTX crypto exchange bring many of these vulnerabilities into relief. 
Coindesk describes a hack sustained by FTX several hours after the exchange filed for bankruptcy. Unknown hackers stole more than $600 million from FTX crypto wallets. Wired outlines the efforts industry and law enforcement are taking to track the stolen funds. Mitiga released research today discussing the exposure of PII in Amazon Relational Database Service Snapshots. Amazon RDS is a platform as a service that provides a database platform based on optional engines such as MySQL and PostgreSQL, and RDS snapshots are used to help backup databases. Researchers discovered RDS snapshots that were shared publicly for hours, days, and weeks, both intentionally and by mistake, and created a way to exploit the issue to mimic attackers. The team created an AWS native technique to extract information from RDS snapshots. Researchers found that the total number of snapshots seen in the month analyzed was 2,783, and of those, 810 were exposed during the time frame being analyzed. 1,859 of the snapshots were exposed for only a day or two. This was also discovered to be occurring worldwide. The Mitica team says that an email should be sent from Amazon notifying you of a public snapshot in your account after sharing a snapshot publicly. There is also a tool called AWS Trusted Advisor that recommends steps to improve your environment in different ways, costs, performance, and security. Public snapshots will cause the Trusted Advisor widget to warn of an action recommended. Provided in the research as well are ways to check for public snapshots. So, let's talk fraud for a couple of minutes. The crooks do, and they speak it fluently. A report from Visa and Wakefield Research describes the effectiveness of the language used in social engineering attacks. The researchers found that 48% of respondents believe they can recognize a scam, but 73% are susceptible to common phrases used by scammers. As you might expect, the language that appears in the most successful scams usually suggests urgency. These attempts at fraud contain phrases such as Win online free gift card, free giveaway, exclusive deal, act now, limited time offer, urgent, click here, and action needed. They're calculated to induce the sort of haste and suspension of the mark's critical faculties that's likely to induce them to click here right now. One interesting side finding that emerged in the study is that self-confidence seems inversely correlated with a user's actual ability to withstand swallowing the fishbait, hook, line, and sinker. The researchers found that respondents who are confident in their ability to recognize scams are actually more likely to fall victim to them, and people tended to think that others, not themselves, would be more susceptible to scams. The study found... While consumers feel confident in their own vigilance, the vast majority, 90%, are concerned that friends or family members may fall for potential scams that include emails or text messages asking people to verify their account information, asking about overdrawn banking accounts, and notifying them about winning a gift card or product from an online shopping site. It's nice that people are concerned for their loved ones, but they might benefit from some realistic self-examination. Our culture desk has long argued that Americans in particular overvalue self-confidence. 
maybe because of too many viewings of The Wizard of Oz during childhood. Anywho, if you think you're too smart to fall for the snake oil salesman's ballyhoo, guess what? You've probably already ordered a case or two. Come to think of it, didn't Oz the Great and Terrible start out selling snake oil at a fair in Omaha? And finally, in an address to the G20 delivered by Videolink, President Zelensky offered friendly nations the benefit of Ukraine's experience of resisting Russian cyber attacks during Russia's hybrid war. He addressed the gathering as the G19, since in his view, Russia's assumption of the role of what he describes as a terrorist state disqualifies it from the respect and consideration due to a G20 member. His comments to the G20's Digital Transformation Summit commended the creation of cyber auxiliary forces and migration to more resilient cloud services as centerpieces of Ukraine's cyber defense program. Such measures have, he said, enabled Ukraine to continue to deliver essential services even under continuous attack, and he offered Ukraine's assistance to friendly nations interested in similarly organizing their online services. He closed with a plea for and an offer of close cooperation for cybersecurity. Coming up after the break, Tim Starks from the Washington Post Cybersecurity 202 on a lagging DHS Cyber Doomsday Report. Our guest is Ashif Samnani from Sonovus Energy with insights from the world of OT Cyber. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. 
confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixthSense, visit SixthSense.com. Ashif Samnani is Industrial Control System Cybersecurity Leader at Synovus Energy. I recently spoke with him on our Control Loop podcast about some of the changes he's witnessed in nearly two decades in the OT and ICS world. Within the OT side, uh, I've seen uh, automation of uh, discovery of new vulnerabilities and threats uh, within the environment. Uh, The technology has been evolving, so what we've been doing in the IT space is similar to what we're now doing in the OT space, right? So there has been an involvement in the types of uh, technologies we've seen. Even uh, the evolution of threats within the space have uh, become far more uh, apparent, right? Uh, I remember back in 2012, I was doing some research around Stuxnet. Um, that was one of the first significant uh, cybersecurity threats uh, within the OT space. And now we see quite a bit uh, relative to the OT area. Nothing as uh, prominent as uh, Stuxnet, but uh, we've we've seen quite a bit, right? So it's just an evolving space within the OT and ICS area of cybersecurity. I'm curious, you know, it's practically a cliche that there's, uh, you know, tension between the IT and the OT sides of the house. I'm wondering, in your experience, how accurate that is? I mean, have we gotten to the point where teams are getting past that? We're evolving now because uh, the IT and OT space is slowly starting to converge. I'd say uh, let's let's flip back uh, 2012 when I first did um, OT cybersecurity. There was a large uh, disconnect between um, the organizations, right, uh, between the IT and OT space when I worked at uh, Spectra Energy, right? Um, the business was not uh, adopting uh, best practices that IT dictates. Plus, you also have... Um, the mindset of an IT person going into an OT space, uh, typically OT personnel or engineers, um, they understand the technologies a little bit better. But nowadays, right, um, you're seeing the IT and OT teams working very closely because they understand that IT OT threats are primarily stemmed from IT-specific incidents, right? So we're seeing um, tremendous adoption, especially the fact that, new, like I said, new regulatory requirements are coming into place. So we need to ensure that um, the OT space is uh, secured and they're working very closely with IT. So regulate, regulatory requirements really drive a lot of the spaces, plus also, the known incidents, for instance, like Colonial, um, that resonated mm. uh, with the uh, OT um, groups, and they were concerned about uh, their security posture. So they're working closely with the IT teams and stuff, right? Um, I know at the current company, we work very closely with the um, various teams uh, within the OT space. So we don't see much of an issue these days. But uh, if we flash back like five to six years ago, or even 10 years, um, yes, there was a significant issue in terms of working with the IT group. Where do you suppose we're headed here as you look towards the next few years? Uh, any notions for how things are going to evolve? Um, yeah, I, mean, I could speak a few, right? For instance, uh, in the OT space, uh, the adoption, and this has already happened, is adoption of cloud, right? Uh, within the OT space, that's uh, one of the things that we're facing, especially with uh, companies such as AWS that are building like uh, specific data lakes related to data historians, right? Which is not commonly um, found. So now we're, what's happening is we're the boundaries of the OT, they're, they're changing, 
right? Um, we're not only going into the IT network, but we're going to the cloud, right? So that's a adoption, right? Um, that I see. Um, in addition, um, the new technologies with are coming out that leverages AI and machine learning to detect for threats and vulnerabilities. We've seen a lot of those coming up, but I think that's a uh, growing, right? Um, the threat and vulnerability. Threat and vulnerability platforms are evolving also, right? So maybe next generation, like threat management systems uh, coming into play, which fare better in the OT space. Um, typically, uh, technologies right now, um, based off of the architecture, they don't they don't fare well. Sometimes we don't have that uh, complete visibility. But I think we'll see find better technologies uh, within um, the space. Are you optimistic that uh, we're going to get there, that we'll, we'll get a good handle on these things? I'm very op- optimistic, right? Uh, I've seen this uh, industry grow over the last uh, 10 years, specifically the OT area. I think we'll get there, right? Um, and I, and as, as um, uh, regulatory requirements come into play, uh, another one I forgot to mention was Bill C-26, which is in Canada, right? Uh, that takes um, cybersecurity requirements for critical infrastructure companies that... Um, employee critical infrastructure, right? Uh, So I feel heavily confident that uh, we will get there, right? It'll take a little bit of time, but uh, I'm sure um, with the executives understanding the new requirements from a compliance standpoint and the evolving threat landscape, uh, they'll take this um, a lot more seriously and consider the investment. That's Ashif Samnani from Sanovas Energy. You can hear the rest of our interview on the Control Loop podcast. Search for it on your favorite podcast app. And it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show Tim Starks. He is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Tim, always great to welcome you back. Uh, you had an interesting uh, report in the Cybersecurity 202 today uh, about uh, a plan for continuity when it comes to cybersecurity uh, in the government and perhaps some areas where it's coming up short. Can you unpack it for us here? What's going on? Yeah, so I love. I really do love covering cybersecurity, uh, but but this is one of those topics that sometimes when people have used the word continuity of blank, it sounds almost too nerdy for me even. But but it's 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 very it's very important. What had been recommended by the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, which has been really responsible for a lot of uh, what Congress has 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 been up to the last couple of years. Two years ago, they put in there a, a requirement for the administration to put together a continuity of the economy plan. And this mm. the idea was to riff off of the continuity of government and continuity of operations kind of plans we've been talking about since the Cold War. Uh, you know, if a nuclear device went off, and how do we keep the government functioning? How do we keep, in this case, they're talking about how do you keep the economy functioning if there's a, this kind of national level cyber attack that that takes everything down? What came up yesterday at uh, a House Homeland Security hearing is that this plan has been sitting on the shelf and and uh, not getting hardly anything done on it, and and they won't even DHS won't even answer what it is that they have or haven't done. Uh, so so Alejandro Mayorkas got confronted about that at, at the hearing yesterday. I called DHS to see if they would tell me anything. I called CISA. I called the White House. They all referred me to each other. So it's, it's kind of in a bind of, of nobody seems to be doing anything with it, and nobody seems interested in talking about what they are or aren't doing with it. 
You have this quote in your article today where uh, it says the decision to send the job to CISA was, quote, pretty much setting the agency up for failure, uh, according to uh, Garbino. Uh, can you provide some context to that? Yes. So, uh, yeah, Congressman Gar- Garbino, he had brought this up at the hearing. What had happened was uh, in the spring of this year, the White House decided to direct CISA to be the lead on this. And why that's setting them up for failure, according to to the congressman, was first off, giving them the job 15 months into after it was something they were told to do means they're probably not going to finish it by January of this year, which was the which is the sorry January of next year, which is the deadline. Uh, that, yeah. That's 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 putting them really behind on a deadline that was probably going to be hard for them to hit anyway. In part because you know if you've covered the government long enough, you know they don't always hit these deadlines. In fact, they rarely do. So so that's right. that's putting them putting them in a in a tough spot. And and even though CISA has an increasingly growing budget, it's really swollen by billions over the last couple of years. It, it still doesn't have. And in the conversation I had with Mark Montgomery, who who was the executive director of the Solarium Commission, doesn't maybe have the the, the number of people it needs. Congress had given them two hundred thousand dollars for this, uh, but maybe that's not going to be enough if you're having to do things like decide what happens if the economy is ruined. Yeah, that just that little thing. Just that little thing. Yeah, yeah. So wh- where do you suppose we stand then? I mean, it, it sounds to me like uh, that deadline will likely come and go, but does this shine a light on it to maybe uh, elevate its uh, its status in terms of attention at least? Yeah. Um, you know, that actually, one of the things I was thinking about was, I'm, I, I'm not not being an activist, but, you know, this is something that seems like it's not getting anywhere. And, and you know, when you're a reporter wanting to hold the government to account, you you hope that shining light on it will at least prompt some discussion about it. Mark Montgomery, who I mentioned just a second ago, uh, said he's hopeful that they'll at least have a plan for a plan. So <laughs> that, that gives you a sense of where the optimism is uh, about what's going to unfold here. I, I think that that is a reasonable guess. They'll say, okay, gosh, we didn't get this done, but here's how we're going to do it. And I didn't mention mm-hmm. this in the story, but uh, you know, one of the things Mark says he's doing is working on almost basically drafting it for them to say, hey, here's what we think you should be doing. So maybe that will help them a little bit too. If they if they see a version of the plan, maybe it'll trigger their imaginations to figure out how to go about doing it. In the time we have left here, uh, you also, uh, in, in the uh, Cybersecurity 202, speak about uh, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, uh, expressing some concerns about TikTok. What's going on there? Yes, he did get asked at the hearing about TikTok uh, Concerns about TikTok uh, and, and you know, its Chinese ownership and whether that presents any national security concerns. Uh, he did, in fact, say he has those national security concerns, but he w- he wouldn't elaborate on what those were uh, because he said that would be the kind of thing they'd need to do in a classified setting. So behind closed doors is is probably when we when when anybody would hear the answers to that, and it would mainly be Congress. Uh, one thing he did add, though, is that there is the the committee on the. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, which is this very special uh, secretive panel that looks at, at the subject matter that's in its name, uh, they, he said that he has input to that, and he has made that input known. We have reported at the Post that they have a, they've agreed to a couple things TikTok has, you know, some additional oversight, some additional um, cybersecurity measures that they would be expected to, to do. There's a, a deal is not imminent, and that was as of just a few weeks ago that we reported that, so it looks like this is going to be something we're going to be wrestling with for a little while longer, to say the least. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Tim Starks is the author of the Cybersecurity 202 at the Washington Post. Thanks so much for joining us, Tim. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.